Canada is very divided. Western alienation is a real thing, and Western separation, for the first time ever, is a real possibility, especially in Alberta, where oil and gas sector workers feel disliked, feel ignored by the federal government, and Albertans in general feel left behind. They feel silenced. And following the 2019 federal election, there was a movement called Wexit, which is Western Exit, uh, that really took a strong hold in the West. Again, you know, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba seem to be the four provinces this is centered around. But in reality, it's Alberta. And now there's a real possibility that this province will vote to leave and become its own nation, similarly to what Quebec wanted to do some time ago and perhaps still wants to do. I don't know enough about this topic, but I am a Westerner, and I've always been a Westerner. So I want to know what is going on and why this Western separation exists, why this Western alienation exists. So today, we're going to be speaking to Corey Morgan, who is an expert on this topic, and he also has a show with the post-millennial called The Western Voice. He's worked in petrochemical industries for over 20 years. He's worked in politics as one of the founders of the Wild Rose Party, and he writes for the Western Standard. So he's someone who knows this stuff, and we're going to find out a little bit more about what's going on in Western Canada. So with that said, welcome to the podcast. My name is Angelo Sidoro, and this is Cancel This. Corey, welcome so much to the podcast. I've been really meaning to talk to you, especially now that we're colleagues uh, with the Post Millennial. I know you have a show, The Western Voice, with us. Um, you know, I, I wanted to get into the topic of the West of Canada, Alberta, BC, if you want to count Saskatchewan and Manitoba. You are someone who's written a lot uh, about Western alienation. You've participated a lot in some pretty big movements in the West. There's a narrative out there right now that this is the worst it's ever been. I'm 24, so I, 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 you know, I don't know how bad things were before. But in terms of the sentiments of alienation, do you feel like this is the worst it's been? Uh, it's the worst I've seen, and I'm uh, 49, so I've seen more of it out here. Uh, it, it seems to come in waves. It, it was very big around the 99-2000 period, and that's when I ended up yeah, leading a, a party that was pursuing a independence to a degree. And then it calms down for a while, and then it flares up. But every time it flares up, it seems to come back a little stronger because people kind of realize that. A futility of trying to change things within the current system and a, and a frustration. So how many times are we going to run in this circle uh, before they start thinking of, of the figurative nuclear option, which is a, a secessionism or at least some very strong regionalism? Yeah, I mean, your background, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're one of the founding men members of the Wild Rose Party. Um, you've certainly uh, dipped your toe in sort of themes around separation, do you feel like that is the direction the West needs to go towards, or is that a contingency? I guess it's all part of a bigger picture. It's a contingency in a sense, but uh, in looking at the Canadian system and the, the size and scope of our country, uh, we need constitutional change, to be blunt. Like, we're going to be constantly pitting our regions against each other, and they're constantly going to be favoring the Laurentian elite. Simply just, it's not even a personal thing. It's just due to political math. You, you aren't going to win this country if you don't win Ontario and Quebec. 
And unfortunately, our interests are often aren't the same, uh, even though we're in the same nation. So that leaves us getting the short end of the stick quite consistently when it comes to those sorts of things. And, and uh, I can't see any catalyst that might bring about constitutional reform or change shy of a constitutional crisis, which means a, a province on the brink of leaving or, or actually perhaps even voting to say, you know what, we're, we want a, a new deal. We want out. Um, Meach Lake and Charlottetown, those were before your time, but those were, you know, in the early 90s. And, and that a lot of that was modeled to address Quebec separatism, but also in Alberta in the 80s after the National Energy Program. We were still pretty upset out here. The Reform Party was coming along. It was another Western effort to try and get a voice out there when we felt we were being overlooked. And, and uh, those constitutional attempts at change failed because it's such a, well, it should be. I mean, a constitution is just not easy to change. Uh, thus, again, I, I see nothing short of uh, a province or provinces being on the brink of leaving before the entire enough people in the nation get the will to say, OK, we've got to reevaluate the deal and, and perhaps uh, modernize it and, and write it up to address our geographic realities. Yeah. And, you know, there, there seems to be an issue in the West in general that I've noticed where there is this trend of the urban population being very out of touch with you, the rural population or rather the population that seems to produce the majority of resources and wealth and, you know, basically the backbone of a nation. And you look at the states and there's lots of comparisons to the more red rural states. But I think what they have, what we don't have is some leveled playing field with the electoral college. Whereas in Canada, you're correct, the constitution here is so tricky and bloated and there is clearly an issue when 180 seats are you know in one little area whereas you have alberta that's this massive landmass that simply doesn't have the same amount of power do you think a lot of the sentiment comes from the fact that alberta and let's just focus on alberta for now contributes so much economically to canada that it seems doubly unfair that there is this alienation or this this ignorance towards the province. Uh, absolutely, I mean, there's no doubt among the the crabby members of constitution uh, of Confederation, Alberta kind of tops the list right now. Uh, Saskatchewan has got a good degree of alienation. Their Buffalo party in the last provincial election actually has a new party, made some surprising inroads and some strong second place finishes. Uh, we've put in as, as a province. Most measures are about $600 billion more than we got back in, in federal transfers and services in the last you know, few decades. That's a, for a province of a few million people, that's a lot of money. And I, I think during good times, Albertans never begrudged paying a little more out than we're getting in. Okay, that's fine. We, we can spread it a bit. But it seems that when the, tide, the tides turn, and that happens in a resource-based economy, it's like a roller coaster. We have our ups and downs. But when the time comes that Alberta comes cap in hand saying, hey, we're having a tough time. Can we get a hand? Uh, we tend to get told to get stuffed. And that's, you know, when we see massive subsidies, and I don't want to see more subsidies, that's a separate discussion. But if they're going to go around, we see Bombardier getting bailed out chronically. We see Air Canada in the past getting bailed out. We see CBC getting money. We see, uh, you know, SNC-Lavalin. You know, these, these again, central Canadian-focused institutions will immediately get a hand. Whereas when we get in trouble, it's kind of like, well, you know, that's, that's just market forces. Uh, good luck to you. And it's a definite double standard and, and it frustrates, but we, we're seeing it spread more across the West and the West is diverse. As you know, you're on the lower mainland of BC, which is uh, quite different than the, the prairie provinces in the West, uh, Manitoba, Alberta, 
and Saskatchewan or, or even interior BC. It's kind of a little pod all your own there of a political hornet's nest to keep you guys uh, rolling. But in, in Alberta, yeah, we've, we've had this distinct thing of feeling that uh, we just can't seem to catch a break. Uh, we're milked quite dry when we're doing well and we're ignored when we need help. I think there's also, you know, a cultural sentiment. And again, you, you're the expert, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you look at Quebec, their separatism was very much a cultural, linguistic separation. And I think many people mistake Western alienation and Western separatism for being purely economic when it clearly isn't that because when I speak to Albertans again I'm, I'm from BC I've actually never even been to the east of Canada but we take certain pride in being Western Canadians right there's a certain culture there's a certain identity that we have and I think in Alberta that identity is very tied to oil and gas uh, it's a sense of pride because it's a sense of wealth. Do you think that the cultural shift of Canada, besides the fact that, you know, there, there have been these issues in the past, there is a new culture now that hates oil and gas, that thinks we need to phase it out completely. What sort of role do you think that plays in sort of the elitism that is perceived by Albertans? Well, it, it, it's huge. I, I, I mean... And it, it, the hypocrisy, of course, drives us mad. And, and you know, going into the, the bigger issue altogether, like Quebec, yeah, they have a very distinct thing that binds them, and that's the linguistic one. I mean, they have control of their own immigration, where the only province that does, and they make sure to get people from other French-speaking states as a priority to, as immigrants coming in. So, I mean, they really want to maintain that that binding feature. In Alberta, it's different. Now, we're a, a province that still is, is based heavily on immigration from out of country and from within country. But the cultural aspect of it is, I think we really, that means we're a frontier, though. We draw in people who are individualists and chance takers, and, uh, you know, they want to go out and, and make a fortune for themselves. I mean, I was fortunate I was born here. I didn't have to do that. But I worked with so many people from the Maritimes or people from India, and, and they've come from all over. And I can't imagine what a challenge that is. You're leaving your friends, your family, your, your, your basis to try and make a new go somewhere. These are these are capitalists. These are uh, libertarians. They they just want to be left alone. So when they get here and then see it threatened yet again, though, by a, a distant government that they don't see a benefit from, and that's that unites us all, even if we are coming from all different places out here in Alberta. Because yeah, it was the oil and gas that drew us. It was a thing of opportunity, and a lot of us feel that there's still a lot of opportunity in, in conventional energy. But we've got this ideological central government, particularly with Trudeau, who, yeah, he, he wants, it seems his interests are trying to look good on the international scope. He, he wants to look good at the UN meetings and, uh, you know, the, the climate change meetings to say, look how I've saved the world over here. Yet we're not blind. We also see the endless stream of, of ships going up the St. Lawrence River supplying Ontario and Quebec with, with petrochemicals from Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and countries that don't have the human rights record or environmental record or any of the things we do out West, yet we can't even get a pipeline to the East. I mean, he knocked Energy East out of the water by regulating it to death. And uh, uh, we're still not confident that the Trans Mountain Pipeline is going to get done uh, ever, if, if uh, you know, it's certainly delayed enough. So we're frustrated and yeah, we're getting pretty ticked off. I think what you mentioned about Saudi Arabia is really telling because I guarantee you, even in Vancouver, if you went to the average person in downtown Vancouver and asked them, would you rather 
have these natural resources come from Alberta and create Albertan jobs and, you know, come from a place that has good human rights or Saudi Arabia, I, I feel like 99.9% .9 of the time, people are going to say Alberta. The fact that we do deal with Saudi Arabia, which, you know, as you know, has a terrible human rights record, treats women terribly, treats workers terribly. It's really fascinating to me that hypocrisy where, let's address the elephant in the room, Justin Trudeau is deeply hypocritical as a leader of this country who wants to virtue signal and say, you know, we're going to be all green, but you're dealing with countries that are abysmal, right? Why not be in energy independent? Do you think that what we need to do as Westerners, as, you know, individualists, capitalists, whatever you want to call it, it is more of an information war where we need to get to Canadians and explain exactly what your choices are here and what the realities are, and then they would move from there? Or do you think this is purely an electoral thing and we just need to get the right people into office? Oh, I, we need to get the right people into office in Central Canada. So the only way to do that is to get electors in Central Canada to uh, feel the same way we do. I mean, even if they're, they're Liberal Party representatives, but if they understand, like, I guess part of what frustrates is if you ask, as you said, if you asked your average person, if you asked them in Ontario or Quebec as well, would you rather get your oil from Alberta or Saudi Arabia? They're still going to say Alberta, but they don't know that they're getting most of their oil from Saudi Arabia and places like that. Russia, even, you know, we, we actually exported one uh, tanker, though, that went all the way around uh, through the Cape and up north and came back to the east coast of Canada. We could have piped it straight across. We just need a line, you guys. But they don't look at that. I mean, it's not as big an issue to them. Uh, almost if people would realize that if Justin really wants to go after petrochemicals as a whole, fine. Shut them out in the East as well. Let people quadruple their heating costs. Let their consumer products go up in price. Let it cost you $150 to fill up your car. And suddenly, I think they're going to rediscover a love of domestic energy production but they're shielded from that reality. They don't realize that, you know, because they keep saying, well, we can shut Alberta down and it hasn't impacted me a bit. Well, that's because you're getting your oil up to St. Lawrence. Uh, think a little harder on this because you aren't stopping the consumption. The consumption's remaining the same. You're just buying it from somewhere else. You're not making anything greener or nicer. But it, so it will take education, though we do have to let people know that. Your, your average person working in the manufacturing sector or tech sector or something in downtown Toronto or Montreal or even St. John's Newfoundland isn't thinking about those sorts of things. Um, so maybe we got to help try to get them to start thinking about some of these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, and I, the reason why I bring it up is because even anecdotally, you know, in BC, the big controversy is the pipeline and you got all these protesters blocking the pipeline. But there have been moments where I've explained to people, you know, actually, these tribes have all approved the pipeline. They're for it because it'll, you know, it'll create jobs and wealth. And even if you block a pipeline, there's still going to be freight trains that are even more high risk in terms of the environment that are just going to go around you. So how do you sell our resources, the idea of resources to people who not only are, are you know, don't care that we're getting them from Saudi Arabia, but are saying we shouldn't have oil and gas at all, whether it's from Saudi Arabia or Alberta and anywhere, we should be just completely green. Uh, are those mines uh, even winnable? 
the ones on the full fringe who are protesting and they protest everything. No, you're, you're not going to win them. They're ideologues. They, they aren't based in reality. Uh, you know, economics aren't really in their frame of thinking. It's not going to be there. But we do have to get to your average person. Again, they, a lot just don't seem to realize it. You're cutting off supply. It's not going to change anything until you get rid of the demand. So, as you said, if you cut, stop the pipeline, we're going to move it by train. If you stop the train, we're going to move it by blimp. I mean, if there's a customer somewhere, we're going to get it to them. And so you guys have got to work on the demand side because otherwise you're just hypocritical. Oh, look, we shut down Alberta again. And oh, here comes another tanker onto the West Coast because we still need to fill our cars up and we're still heating our houses and we still use plastics and, and other petrochemical products, nylon. You know, I love seeing them all out there protesting in their Gore-Tex outfits. Uh, do they think that there's a Gore-Tex farm somewhere where they harvest this renewable Gore-Tex? Guys, it's a petroleum product. But again, the, the extreme protesters, no, we're not going to change them. Unfortunately, the you know, and you expect that, but the ideologue who we can't seem to change the mind of right now is Justin Trudeau, and that's distressing. I mean, you know, to see a, a few youthful people who want to protest everything and climb trees and chain themselves to equipment. Okay. Well, those people will always exist, but political leadership is starting to move along that unreasonable line. And, and that is troublesome. And the only way to get them to change their minds is to put their electoral fortunes at risk. And that means, yeah, educating voters and getting voters to change their ways, but that's a, a, a big task. It certainly is. Uh, hopefully we can start working on that. Do you feel that, with 2020 not even around the corner, now we're in it, there's a possibility for a federal election. I think we're both aware of that. And, and you have some election experience. I have some election experience. Do you feel that the Conservative Party needs to take a stronger stance or needs to address Western alienation to a stronger degree? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd like to see them do so. Uh, if you're looking from a purely political standpoint, and this is part of where we kind of shoot ourselves in the feet on the prairies, we're taken for granted, and not just by the liberals, but by the conservatives. I mean, they know if we don't address Western alienation throughout the election, do you think Alberta is going to change its mind and vote liberal? We're still going to be a solid sea of conservative seats, and same with 90% of Saskatchewan and 80% of Manitoba. So we're kind of our own worst enemy as far as that goes. We don't change the electoral fortunes of either party. So I, I think that does tell us, again, somehow we've got to be able to try and reach out to the voters in the other regions, which I don't think or know is necessarily possible, which, again, leads to that big circular thing coming back towards independence movements and, and trying to think outside, I guess, of the electoral box and how can we pressure things. So this likely pending federal election is going to be fought in Toronto and Montreal again, and it's going to tick the West off even further again. And, and if we see a re-election of Trudeau, we're, we're going to see a, a huge flare of, of Western alienation going on. And what that translates into, well, time will tell. Yeah. And, and the reason why I ask is because I think you're right in the sense that it may be for all the marbles this time, where let's say it happens in February and March, and Trudeau continues to be Teflon for whatever reason, and not only gets re-elected, but gets a majority. At that point, I feel like there needs to be a serious discussion. I'm not saying that I necessarily feel this, but I'm saying clearly Westerners are going to say, we want out of this relationship because a Trudeau majority, after he just raised the carbon tax again, and 
how, how do you how do you square it? Yeah, no. If he comes in with a majority, I could promise you, separatist, separatism on the prairies is going to get explosive. I mean, right now it's polling in levels of getting into the twenty percent range, twenty five percent range, which is pretty darn high. That that's a large chunk of the population out here who's saying, "Hey, you know what? I've had it with this agreement. Uh, we're going to get closer to that fifty percent level." We've we've got something interesting coming. Jason Kenny is uh, on the rocks right now. He's having a hell of a time trying to find his feet in Alberta. Uh, these latest scandals over travel are really hurting him, and, and he really needs to hit his populist base, which got him there in the first place. One of his promises, one of the things he said he's going to do is hold a, an equalization referendum in Alberta this fall. I think if Trudeau is still our prime minister come this fall, while that referendum is going to be held ostensibly on equalization, I think it's going to be read as a proxy vote on separatism. Uh, people are going to frame the debate that way. And people are going to vote based on that basis. So if we get 60, 70% of Albertans voting to say, hey, roll up your equalization policy and, and stuff it somewhere, it also means that a large chunk of people are also, they're just willing to tell Central Canada to get stuffed in general. Uh, it's going to be a poll on, on that whole issue in, gen in general. And, and uh, it'll be very interesting to see the outcome. I mean, it's going to bring that public discourse to, uh, force at least some discussion on the alienation, even if it doesn't change anything in that particular vote. So it's going to be an interesting year. As far as equalization goes, and please correct me because I'm new to, to, to these terms, equalization is essentially the idea that the province produces X amount of profit, surplus, whatever, and then that gets transferred to another province like Quebec to equalize productivity. Uh, yeah, or equalize their ability to provide services. And, and it, it's, uh, as far as transfers go, it's not even the largest one that comes out of Alberta. Well, and there's where some of the confusion comes. So because people think, oh, well, we write this check, we can stop writing it. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. We, we put all our taxes into one giant federal pot, and then they dole it back to the provinces under a number of different programs. It, it's just that we see equalization as the most odious, because that one's the most politicized, it's the most outright socialist. It's saying, you know, even if you guys mismanage yourselves and your provincial finances, we'll top it up with this fund to help you along. I mean, because, uh, for example, Quebec's hydro revenue has always been exempted from the equalization formula. I mean, Quebec has always been the main recipient of equalization, no matter how well they're doing. And they've been doing really well in some years economically, yet they're still sucking in billions a year from the rest of us. But the government, again, uses it as a political tool to model, to win support and keep things going well for them, which, again, means you keep draining the West and you keep pouring it into where you want better electoral fortune. So Alberta's never been a recipient of an equalization. I shouldn't say that, actually. There's some period back in the 50s or 60s, I think Alberta got $53 million once or something like that. But uh, typically, again, it's it's billions going out that, that we don't see coming in. So it's a it's a flashpoint and it's a symbol that, that really frustrates a lot of Albertans and Westerners. So uh, it'll be an interesting thing to see us all have, be able to vote on it at least and, and see, you know, even if it's just a measure of our frustration and can't really change anything legislatively, it'll really let us uh, express our annoyance. And the reason why I ask about equalization is because just you explaining it, if you went to your average Albertan and explained that, I, again, it's a similar analogy, but I feel as though if there's a referendum, it's going to be a slam dunk that people don't want equalization if you're in Alberta. So I wonder to what degree this is all inevitable. 
and how much is riding on this next election because the fact is Justin Trudeau doesn't care. Um, the Liberals seemingly don't care about Alberta or, or much of the West. Even the interior of BC, they don't seem to be competitive other than just, you know, the lower mainland where I am. Uh, the same goes for Saskatchewan and parts of Manitoba. And you can argue that the Conservatives take the area for granted. Uh, is this just an inevitability, basically? Do, do you believe that uh, should Justin Trudeau get reelected, whether it's a minority or a majority, that there will be uh, a vote or a referendum on separation? Well, I mean, the referendum is inevitable for the equalization. And uh, if that goes very strongly against the equalization, so this is looking a lot farther down the line, no matter who's in government, and that program doesn't get at least uh, modified or addressed, then there's definitely going to be a push for, you know what, then fine, we want out. Uh, there will be a push for a, a full secessionist referendum. Whether or not a premier will call one is, is you know, uh, anybody's guess. I mean, that would still be, a, I guess, a year or two years away from now if it was going to happen. But it, the, this first referendum this fall is going to set the stage. That's going to be the practice run. And I, I think that's how people opposed to or even supportive of, of secession are going to frame it. They're going to say, this is the dry run. This is the, the poll on a Alberta alienation. And, and as that can spread as well. I mean, Saskatchewan is not terribly thrilled these days either. Uh, it, it could start a ball rolling that they might have a lot of trouble stopping. And uh, it gives us that tool to use. Because I, I, as I said, I feel the system's broken and that might be the only tool in the long run that'll finally lead to fixing it. So this is a step along the way. Do you feel that the Wexit, or I believe it's now called the Maverick Party, would then be the vehicle that would deliver that separation or would it just be a pure referendum? I, well, you know, referendums, I mean... Uh, especially with Canadian legislation, have to be a provincial initiative. So the, the, the Maverick Party is federal. I mean, they, they're all speaking to the same thing and, and uh, you know, pushing the same issues. I'm certain that they would be supportive of, uh, you know, an independence referendum. But this would have to come out. In Alberta, we've got uh, the, the Wild Rose Independence Party that's been rising uh, on the prairies and, and being organized and getting their constituencies going. And uh, if Jason Kenney can't get a hold of that separatist sentiment, these guys might snatch that up. And, and again, if he's got that threat from that flank, then he may feel, you know what, I better hold an independence referendum just to, to, to quell that fire uh, or lose on that front. It's, it's kind of dicey because, as we've also learned, if we split our vote provincially, we can end up with an NDP government that nobody here wants. Well, 33% of the province does, but, uh, you know, that, that would be painful. So we've got a lot of scenarios ahead of us, and a lot of it's going to ride on how the federal election may play out, what the tone of it is. Like the, the 2000 election led to uh, so much rage in Alberta, and it wasn't even so much based on issues. It was based on attitude because Chrétien displayed just such a, uh, an arrogance and almost dislike of the province that it made Albertans take it personally. And, 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 and again, the fact that that arrogance and, and, and kind of thumbing his nose at Alberta as a campaign strategy worked was maddening. I mean, he never stopped in Alberta once during an entire federal campaign. You know, you've got 10 provinces, theoretically, you should be trying to be the leader of all of them, and you don't even make a campaign stop there. That, that, that's quite a, a statement.
and it, and it worked. That's the frustrating thing. So we'll see how this federal election plays out and how they do campaign and how they do address Western issues, because that's going to make a big difference in how we feel after it's all said and done as well. Yeah, campaign stops, I think, make a real difference to the morale. And I, and I think, you know, Aaron O'Toole or the Conservatives in general would be wise to actually spend some time visiting the West. We've talked about what happens if Justin Trudeau wins. If Aaron O'Toole does win and forms a majority government, a conservative majority government, or let's say a minority government, do you feel like separatism is, is dead in the West at that point? Do you feel like that's we won the war and we can all stay together? Or do you think that struggle will still continue? I, I think it'll be deferred. Uh, you know, when, when Stephen Harper got his majority, I mean, you didn't hear much about Western separatism either. When, when you look policy-wise, though, Harper didn't do a heck of a lot to change things for the West anyhow. I mean, he was a good prime minister in my view, but he didn't address a lot of those underlying issues. But we tend to be more calm when we see what we feel is a friendlier face in government, uh, you know, and, and feel like we've got a voice that somebody's actually listening to us. And, and Harper did that much, at least. And I think O'Toole would do so as well. But would O'Toole work towards scrapping the equalization program? Would O'Toole uh, look at constitutional reform? I doubt he's going to want to dip his foot into those waters. So at best, you're just going to be putting off that, that same problem that's going on. Because uh, I do feel that Canada fundamentally and constitutionally just has some, some serious shortcomings that are going to lead to this flaring up and down and, and getting worse every time. I said with the American system, uh, you know, uh, we talked about way back again, it was prior to your time, but triple E was the big rallying call for Senate reform, which meant equal, elected and effective. And, you know, you figure if you get the first two E's, you're probably going to get the third one. And, you know, the state of Idaho has as many senators as the state of New York. I mean, it forces at least a little bit of degree of compromise between urban and rural and high density populations and low density. I mean, we know from watching the states, it's far from perfect, but it gives that outlet and it doesn't let one side really overwhelm the other as much as you do see it in Canada. So we need some systemic reform and I don't know when we're going to get to it or who's going to have the will to do it. It's going to take a crisis to get there. Yeah, you mentioned the United States. We talked about it earlier. It's far from perfect. We know it's far from perfect. But there is a wisdom there in those founding documents where it seemed as though their founding fathers were aware of the fact that less populated areas that produce a lot of the resources require a certain amount of power. Otherwise, they'll feel neglected. And, and you know, that's how you have fragmentation and balkanization. And at the end of the day, they produce everything. So it's always interesting to me to speak to a lot of urban yuppies. It's not so much in Vancouver, but I've spoken to a lot of people out east where there is this ignorance or this distaste of, you know, the dirty Albertan or the dirty prairie person. And it just really amazes me because it's, it's like these people produce everything we have. Uh, so in, in my head, and again, I'm, I'm a younger guy, but I feel as though we live, I live in a very broken country where the block is doing very well in Quebec. And I'm sure there's some level of separatism still there. And now you have this in the West. So I feel very lucky to be able to speak to you about this. And I'm definitely going to mull this over, but 
to finish on a positive note, what do you think can be done for the future of Canada to have a unified Canada? Do you see any version where we can do something even extreme to ensure the country stays together and we're one big happy family? I, you know, I guess it's a dream, but if, if we could communicate more <clears throat> and understand the mutual benefit we have in being together, um, if people did understand, they value the social programs and things that we have, the, safe, the safety net, please understand it's resource development that funds that safety net. If, if we're not there putting it in, you're not going to enjoy the benefits of that. And I guess the West, we have to understand if we had a country that balances those interests. So when we hit the hard times in the resource sector, we could get some benefit back. You see, that's part of why we're upset now. Uh, you know, so the manufacturing sector and the tech sectors kind of help us out through those rocky times. We would all see a much bigger picture and a, a benefit to being a unified state, you know, and, and uh, maybe we'll see that. Maybe that'll be some of the discussion coming up in this federal election. I would like to see it. I'm not, you know, I, I'm kind of being pessimistic, but uh, if you want to end on the good note, that's what I'd like to see. And I think it would help us all and we'd all benefit from that kind of discussion. Well, here, here. Corey, where could people uh, catch your show? We know you have a show with us. Where where can we find it? Yeah, well, it's the Western Voice uh, they, we, with the Post Millennial. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, the YouTube channel, the Facebook slash Western Voice. And, uh, of course, my, myself, I'm always, uh, Twitter's my playground at Corey B. Morgan. And I always promote and plug things as, as they come along. And, uh, yeah, pretty easy to find if you have a look around there. All right, Corey, thank you so much for coming on. All right, that was Corey Morgan. He is the host of The Western Voice at the Post Millennial. Now, I am very biased because he is a colleague, but I think his show is great. I consider him to be an expert. And if you liked the topics that we discussed today and want to learn more, I highly recommend you go and check out The Western Voice. With that said, please let me know your thoughts. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, please give us a good rating. Please send it around to your friends. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe, please like, and please comment because I want to hear your thoughts on this. It's an interesting topic that I'm still learning a lot about. With that said, until next time, thank you so much.